school day for many high school students starts like any other. They show up to class, catch up on gossip, talk about the homework they did or didn't do. When in the middle of that class, the PA system breaks in. This is a lockdown drill. That exact scenario played out just over a week ago at Middletown High School with an unannounced lockdown drill. While everything was handled according to school protocol, it sort of raise questions about how school safety is handled in a new era where school shootings are more frequent, more deadly, and more covered. So, Wyatt, tell us a little bit about what happened at Middletown High School. And for people who are not in school anymore or maybe don't have children in school, what do you mean by unannounced drill? Yeah, so on April 16th, I came into the newsroom um, about 9 o'clock. And when I did so, I learned that uh, Middletown High School had been on a partial lockdown that morning. Um, And there was some confusion about what was happening, not necessarily that this was very serious, but we found out later that it was a sort of unannounced drill, which is becoming more common with schools throughout the country um, and with Frederick County public schools. And these types of drills are ones that happen sort of spur of the moment, as opposed to ones that are planned and announced ahead of time. If you think about running through a fire drill or a tornado drill, sometimes they'll say, Next Thursday at 2 o'clock, we're going to do a tornado drill so that students can practice what they go through. Um, But these types of unannounced drills are sort of helping students understand how to respond in the middle of the moment um, and how they react in different situations. And that's something that school administrators talk about to really get students to practice muscle memory and just how they would react if the drill happens in between classes while they're in the lunchroom, um, while they're in the middle of class to get that sense of what to do. And so if I am a student and an unannounced uh, lockdown starts going on, what exactly do I do? Do I continue with class? Do I just lock the door? Yeah, so that's uh, one thing that I talked about with Scott Blundell, who is the Frederick County Public Schools Supervisor of Security and Emergency Management. And it's handled differently at different levels. Um, But essentially, the, the way lockdowns are handled now are quite different than when I was in school, where essentially what would happen is, the lockdown drill would start, everyone would get really quiet, you'd turn off the lights and sort of go to a corner of the room where you couldn't be seen. Um, but sort of best practices for, for lockdowns have changed in terms of they're now sort of advocating for three different things to happen. So one is avoid, uh, so avoid any assailant or intruder to the school, and that can mean running, getting out of the way, getting out of the school, whether that's breaking windows, exiting through doors, and just getting as far away from the danger as possible. The other... Um, term they use is deny. Uh, So avoid and deny. Deny can mean blocking doors. So for instance, if you can't avoid the assailant piling desks and different things in front of the the door to block entry or to make it harder to maybe give yourself some more time to exit a different way. And then the final component is defend. So essentially being prepared to engage with any assailant to protect yourself and protect other students, um, especially if you're catching the assailant off guard. And that is one of the three ways to respond to an active shooter or active assailant, um, but it's not necessarily the first one. They really push the avoid and deny. So when you're doing a drill with this avoid, deny, and defend, how do you actually practice that this in a drill? I imagine you're not actually breaking windows if you're running a drill. Yeah, uh, so that's one thing that I talk with FCPS about is that they really practice the avoid and then the deny component of it. They don't really practice the defend they might talk about what you do in that situation, but you really shouldn't like practice attacking someone in a school setting. And it's, like I mentioned, it's handled differently at different levels. So in the elementary school levels, they talk about 
ways to avoid danger, um, but they don't really talk about the why component of it. Um, that's something FCPS had talked to me about, is that you would take an elementary school student and say, if there's a danger, if there's a fire, if there's any sort of um, immediate danger that we need to leave the school, um, we'll talk about different ways that you can do that, whether that's going through windows, going through the various exits and knowing where those exits are, so that um, if there is some sort of incident at an elementary school, they can just say, we need to do this sort of drill just get out of the school and students know what that is and but they might not necessarily know the reason why and that's sort of protecting them from the the news and different things that have happened at schools just to keep them a little more sane and for um parents you know what kind of uh especially when you're talking about elementary schools, what kind of alerts are given to parents so that they don't get text messages or some kind of email or read twitter and see that their their child is in a maybe a drill but interpreted as a dangerous situation so the school system sends out these find out first alerts and they happen for any sort of school event. But in terms of the Middletown one, um, just over an hour after that partial lockdown had happened, they sent an alert over email saying there was an unannounced drill this morning. This is what we did to ensure student safety and some of the things like that. And that really comes on the heels of some of these big national news stories of schools really mishandling these unannounced drills, and which is why I was sort of interested in learning more because there are incidents where they have these active shooter drills, but they don't really let students know um, so that when when the drill happens, they don't announce that it's a drill. They just want to see how students react, which sort of makes sense um, in one in one part of your brain. You want to sort of see if it's happening real time. Do students know how to react and keep themselves safe? But the other sense with the, the number of these high-profile school shootings um, and the way it's covered, especially with media and technology, it can feel very real to students. So like the, the shooting that happened in Parkland, Florida, because of media coverage, students could sort of see themselves at that school. They could like really feel like it was there, even though it happened hundreds of miles away. Um, and, and in those cases, these mishandled active shooter drills can be very traumatic for students because they feel like this is it. All the things that I've heard about is finally happening. And there are many stories of like students sending text messages or posting on social media, sort of saying goodbye and living through that trauma and thinking that that this drill is actually something real and that their lives are in danger. So I guess we should kind of go back a little bit and talk about the change and evolution of these drills. Because you mentioned when you were in school 10 years ago, you probably didn't have the same kinds of uh, drills because there wasn't as many publicly announced school shootings like there are now. And I know when I was in school, like our lockdown drills were essentially turn off the lights, lock the door, but continue with class. Um, just because it wasn't taken, it was taken seriously, but it wasn't, there wasn't the need as much um, because it just wasn't something that happened as often. Yeah, so the the trend to do this difference in terms of avoid, uh, deny, defend, that is something that has sort of cropped up in the last decade or so among schools. Um, but it, it really took root in FCPS several years ago, and they've been training uh, school administration, and it's something that happens any, with any new hire. They talk to staff about it, and they do sort of these update training. So it's a relatively new tactic um, in terms of keeping students safe and giving them options rather than having this one size fits all. And do they do training specifically for the teachers or is when you have an unannounced lockdown drill, do the teachers also not know when it's coming or are they given more information than students? Yeah, I think there, there are different levels to it. Um, one of the things in talking with FCPS is what they said is it's sort of a logistical nightmare to let everyone know that there's a drill that's happening. I mean, in terms of the leadership, the staff, and the students, um, especially because if there's any reason that drill doesn't happen, then it just gets even more confusing. So in any of these unannounced drills, there is 
a certain number of people that know, whether that's like the principal and um, some leadership. And often the, the emergency service staff from FCPS's central office is notified and they might come to the school and sort of see how it plays out. But um, the, the idea with these unannounced drills is that it's announced the mo moment it happens, um, but students and staff get a real sense of, okay, we're in the middle of this or like we're in a transition time. How do we respond? And, you know, going through the drills, what happens if they find that a school maybe didn't respond appropriately or maybe a school responded just a little bit too much? Yeah, I think that's that's sort of the reason that the emergency service staff would be at a school at a given time to really understand how, how it responds and if there are any things they need to tweak. Um, that's not necessarily something that we had talked about, but that, that was the sense I got of why they want to come and, and learn in these moments when schools do these safety drills. And you, you mentioned the trauma that comes from some of the other drills when they weren't quite announced or it goes one way they actually use like pink gun uh, or like darts uh, to actually shoot teachers to try to make it real. Um, did any FCPS mention about the trauma that these kids might go through? I, I know with Catoctin High School, there was an active shooter threat not too long ago where there really could have been a school shooting. Yeah, and I guess the, the big thing that FCPS emphasized with with these types of drills is announcing it and making that very clear when the alarm comes on. Um, so there isn't a lot of way to mishear that um, in terms of when those drills are announced, but it can be very traumatic for students if they aren't aware of what is happening. Um, like we had mentioned, there's a lot of national stories, and I talked to several school advocates um, and people that do uh, like therapy and different psychological services for schools, and they really emphasized that. Um, and it they, they mentioned that it seems sort of counterintuitive because pretty much all of our lives we've been doing a sort of unannounced fire drills, right? Like the, the fire drill goes off, and you sort of know what to do, and you're not necessarily questioning whether this is a drill or not. You just know you get up, you go outside. Um, but it's different with lockdowns because of all of the the trauma related to these school shootings and the, the attention that comes after it. Um, and the point that several of the advocates made is that with these unannounced drills, they really need to be announced very clearly for students. Um, and they don't need to be carried out in the sort of over-the-top ways like the, the story you mentioned or like other times there's been sort of these like fake active shooters that are shooting with rubber bullets, um, which can be very traumatic for students. And the point that they made is like, when you do a fire drill, you don't light part of the school on fire to see how the students react. Like you can do it in a way that teaches students how to respond and be safe without necessarily having to start a fire to do that. So I think for me, this is like kind of a personal topic as well, because I have a sister who's in high school. And I remember after the Parkland shooting, just how upset she was, because for her, like this was something that was very real and very likely could happen at our high school and I think for me with the uh, Capitol Gazette shooting it's the same sense of like oh my goodness am I going to go to a place that I always go and now I'm at you know a place where I am afraid and I we haven't had a drill here but I do wonder if I would also feel some of those traumatic um, experiences while even going through something that's announced. Yeah, it's very similar I've talked to my parents about that um, so I was just about school age and I have an older sister um, when Columbine happened, that's the sort of big, high-profile shooting. And when, when parents in America realize that these schools can be targets and are vulnerable, and the, the fact that that was very sort of traumatizing for my parents in terms of, do we take our kids out of school? Like, what's happening? Are our schools and our children safe? Whereas, I think for people our age, we grew up after these some of these high-profile school shootings. We grew up after 9-11. I just sort of realized that there is always sort of that looming threat. 
Yeah, I mean, when I was in a senior or senior or junior in high school, we actually had a bomb threat that was taken very seriously and it got out. We, you know, Twitter was still pretty new, but we made its way through the text messages. And that was something where a lot of people just didn't show up that day because we were just so scared. And I think that was like that was before you saw all the Parkland shootings and the Texas shooting and the Great Mill shooting, you know, over in Montgomery County. So I think it's very interesting that they are actually practicing these and trying to get people more aware of these things rather than what they might have done when we were in school. Yeah, and we saw that just before Easter, there was a, supposed to be a pep rally at Waukeshaville High School, um, and it was postponed because there was a threat made to that pep rally. And it was it was determined that the threat was more of a joke, um, but it was a verbal comment that sort of got misheard or at the time wasn't seen as a joke, and then it sort of circulated on social media that this was happening to the point that law enforcement was drawn. And so these are taken very seriously, and they can have major repercussions, but that's just sort of the reality that students are living with in 2019. And to give more of a student's perspective, we've actually asked two high school students to come into the studio and tell us a little bit more about what it's like to be a high school student right now doing these lockdown drills and dealing with the looming threat of this could actually be something that happens to them. I'm Laromo Bear. I'm 15 years old. I'm a sophomore at St. James School and I'm the student leader of Students Demand Action Frederick for Gun Sense in America. I'm Navian Scarlett. And I'm almost 18, like in a week. <laughs> so, And I go to Frederick High School, and I'm actually starting like a chapter at Frederick High School right now. Cool. I met with the principal today, so he's pretty eager to get things rolling. So I guess um, because you are both students in Frederick County, could either of you or both of you sort of talk about what it's like to go through a drill and how it's handled? Um, we're talking specifically about lockdown drills or active assailant drills at schools. Mm-hmm. Um, well, like I, a bunch of schools, everyone I think does it a little bit differently depending on where you do go to school. But my memories in particular have been basically they'll like make an announcement um, about saying like we're going to be going into lockdown. Um, usually what happens is the teacher will go lock the door and then put like the door stop um, from the inside. So that way if someone were to come in, they'd have a harder time of opening the door like the lights would all go down. They have curtain, all the curtains would get closed, including curtains over the doors. Um, and then we would basically all go into either like a closet or a space away, like in a, in a spot where we couldn't be seen from the outside through the door. For us, when we did our drill, it was really, I don't know about every other classroom, but for ours, we didn't turn off the lights, but the teacher did lock all of the doors and we all had to like stay quiet. Uh, uh, they made an announcement and they made an announcement of like, you know, like one of our administrators was the shooter and like we we're doing a shooting drill. And I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about that. But because I don't think anyone was in the hallways to even see him. But we were just all we basically had a lockdown drill, except from my classroom, we didn't turn off the lights. So it was a little bit more chill, I guess. But I also feel at the same time they were trying not to be too excessive because there had been just the year before there had just been that shooting at the after party for prom so I feel like they felt like some people were still rattled by that so they didn't want to be like too dramatic for yeah. people that might have been there and I think you're right like every school does it differently you know my you know my school did it a certain way you know your school did it you know, a certain way just sort of growing up but I you know like we were talking about there's some schools will do extreme, really, like, they go all out for these drills, you know, where they hire students to play, you know, dead, and they put fake blood on the walls, and they'll have, you know, police officers come in and fire blanks, you know, and 
quite frankly, that would be completely, I mean, that would be traumatizing to me just seeing that image. Yeah, I guess from your your perspective, do you think these these drills or some of the way that is handled is helpful for you all to understand how to react or what to do? I feel like mine isn't because I feel like, although I believe that we shouldn't have drills at all, but if we were to, it should be like taken more seriously to point where like they're actually like giving instruction of like what I'm supposed to do because at the end of the day no one even after doing that drill no one knows what to do no one knows what where they're supposed to go or what exactly actions they should take or even the teachers explaining what they're going to do if there is a shooter or something like that so I mean I feel like if they just took it a little bit more seriously then it would be helpful for students but I feel like it's just kind of like scary more scary for students because they're just like you know, when we actually have to have a drill for it, it's like, okay, this is something that can actually happen. I mean, we always have fire drills, but there's never, you know, really a fire. But, like, the fact that we had to have a drill, like, kind of freaked a couple of students out because it's like, okay, this is something we have to practice for in case it happens. Like, it's something that will actually could occur. I think that, you know, obviously, depend, you know, depending on, you know, in Maryland, you know, the gun, we have, you know, amazing gun legislation, you know, we have, it, they definitely have a good system in place to make sure that guns do stay out of the hands of people who will do harm with them. And so, however, you know, in, in the rest of the country, you know, in, unfortunately, we do live in this sort of world where active shooter drills have become routine, just like prom or football games. And that's just the sort of the society we live in. And unfortunately, until real action is taken on the national level, schools all over the country will have to do them, Um, which, you know, that's another topic about getting good, solid legislation into place that would prevent these. However, until we get to that place where there is solid legislation, unfortunately, like, I do feel it is important to do these drills just to make sure that there are proper precautions taken into place because unfortunately it is a really real thing. And I think at the moment, like we just have to do as much as we can do to just in order to try and keep everyone safe. So you mentioned that it can be a little traumatic, even if you're not going through a drill where they may go all out with the fake guns and fake blood. But um, for that, you know, when you're going through a drill, what what are you thinking about? What is going through your head? What is it like to be a high school student right now going through a drill? Fearful. Mm-hmm. A lot of um, fear, mainly. Because we're, you know, all silent for the, for the most part, like we all have to stay quiet. It mainly, it just comes down to like what we're thinking inside our own heads. And usually I just think about, you know, I'm sitting here and it, honestly it feels like I'm living in this sort of dystopian novel, you know, I feel like I'm in like this dystopian sort of story, like some type of book where there's this, you know, chaos and everything, I mean, confusion and fear and everything like that. And so for me, at least I'm like, this feels honestly like a nightmare. And, you know, I kind of, it's kind of like you have to pinch yourself to make sure you're not dreaming because it honestly feels surreal. Like, we, the people of the United States of America, we, these students have to go through this because politicians have ignored this cause for so, this cause for so long. And it's just, it's gotten to this point where it's completely spiraled out of control. I mean, it really, it feels surreal to me. It felt like, 
like really fearful and I was very anxious about it even though they said it was a drill like the thought that like it could not be a drill was like it really weighed down on me because like I I was standing next to my friends and I thought about what if it was real what would I do? Would I end up being one of the people that had to protect someone? Where would I go? There's nowhere to go. What would what would the people that I would see, like, if I saw, like, people being shot? It's really, even if you haven't experienced it, just imagining it is, it's something that weighs on you because you've heard of other people's experiences. Um, and just the thought that there's you're put in the situation where there's really nothing you can do and there's no like I mean you can lock the doors all you want but there's really no nothing like to save anyone and you know like it's just really scary for them to like think that it's okay to say okay we're going to like pretend that there's an active shooter but i also in my mind i thought what if someone turns this into an opportunity too because i know there have been kids that have been caught carrying like like not like actual weapons but like things that look like weapons and things like that so it's not really that unrealistic either so it was really it was even like traumatic for me just having to have a moment of silence to think about all of those things all at once. I remember usually, I mean, in my lifetime that I can remember, you know, I'm only 15, um, but I distinctly remember I've had three nightmares in particular where I've had this dream where it were to happen actually at my school. Um, you know, and, and there's some type of, you know, gun violence, you know, involved in the situation. I mean, like, I've woke up, I've woken up sobbing out of these dreams because it was so terrifying and that was just a dream i mean that was not real that it wasn't real life it was all a dream but i mean i think about it and i'm like i can't even imagine these kids these students that have to live through this and it's not a dream where it is actually it's real life yeah and i you, thank you for sharing that both of you and you sort of talk about in, in the moment it can feel very powerless, but I know since you all are both involved with students demand action, what are some things that can be done? Maybe not right in the moment of these lockdown drills and, and the fear that's going on, but sort of overall to, to protect this generation of students. I think that students should be more educated about it. They know so little and they don't know about all the things that can go into you know, hel helping, like, stop this type of situation. A lot of students don't think, you know, about the legislation or don't know anything. And I think that the school in general, they should have, like, some type of information to give to students about, you know, what protocols they feel that students should take if need be. Not just, you know, okay, guys, we're going to lock down and pretend there's a shooter in the school. No one's going to know what to do or no one's going to know, like, have any information whatsoever about shootings in particular or about what they could do as a person because especially if there's someone who's a gun violence um, victim or a gun violence survivor then they would they would feel very strongly about it and if you don't tell them you know like the facts or like 
some type of information about what can really be done other than them having drills because I know a lot of kids don't like the drills and like if they told them okay we you can have this alternative after giving them that information then that is what could help I think we need there there has to be action taken on a legislative end because the ultimate goal would be to get to a place where students in the United States of America would no longer have to go to school fearing for their lives and would no longer have to do these active shooter drills because we have policies and legislation and laws in place that would prevent it all. Like at the end of the day, we have to go to the to the root of of these school shootings. So, for example, you know, responsible firearm storage laws that would basically, you know, say if there's a gun in the house it needs to be locked up and that just it keeps everyone safe it keeps the it keeps the children in safe it keeps the families in safe it keeps everyone safe and it ensures that the firearm stay you know it stays locked up and it stays safe and it does so often we hear about you know i will see these unintentional shootings where children are able to get the firearm you know from a parent because it's not locked up in place and so and the child ends up you know, hurting themselves or others. And I mean, it's it's tragic. So responsible firearm storage must happen. Um, raising the age to purchase firearms to 21, that would basically, you know, prevent you, um, like a someone like the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, the shooter from obtaining a firearm. And I mean, quite frankly, you know, our drinking age in the United States is 21. It's, you know, kind of surreal that you are able to purchase a firearm before in some states before you're able to you know drink to have a beer i mean so definitely raising the purchasing age for firearms to 21 um and background checks i mean universal criminal background checks on every gun sale so people barred from having guns can't escape can't escape the gun can't escape our gun laws and get their hands on guns so I guess just, you know, since you mentioned you're 15 and you're about to be 18, so you ha- you might not be able to vote in the next election. You probably will be. Mm-hmm. You know, what can students do right now to get the attention of people who can vote, whether it's someone like my age who's only, you know, 10 years older than you or someone who's 40, 50 years older than you that's going to vote and make these decisions? Register to vote <laughs> and get every single person you know who is eligible to vote to register to vote. At the end of the day, we have to make sure that our politicians are fighting for gun sense. You know, thankfully, in this past midterms, we were able to elect a gun sense majority to the House of Representatives, which is how we've been able to see legislation like H.R. 8, you know, bipartisan background checks, that how that was able to pass is because we did have a gun sense majority. And so with this next election coming out with 2020, you know, all of the House House of Representatives, you know, all of all of that will be up for grabs because you know it's a two-year term and so keeping the gun sense majority in the house obviously but also you know let's see if we can you know get some type some something happening in the senate too because currently hr8 did pass the house and then of course legislation moves on um but unfortunately leader senate majority leader mitch mcconnell did not said he would not allow a vote on it um, which is really sad to see that piece of legislation, you know, sort of not be able to 
you know, reach the Senate, which is so sad. So just register to vote and vote for gun sense candidates who will do something about gun violence. I also think that an important part of it is education. I feel like education should be is like the forefront of really like what students demand action is because a lot of what you see a lot with like our different problems that we have in the United States is that a lot of people are quick to jump on the train but they don't even know where it's going and so they a lot of people have heard you know heard one person say this and one person say that but they always take it from the first person and forget about the second and I feel like if some of our gun sense legislators as well if they decided to take time to really like just not don't just because I watched like the town hall and they're just saying all these fancy words and fancy like you know bill numbers and stuff but I mean if you just really just like connect with the people and really just take time to tell them what this is and what the and whose whose side is what and what what is really going on I'm sure some people will see like once they understand what's going on then they'll be able to see like what which side they want to be on but I think like a lot of people are really just very lost with this situation because they know, they're like me, know nothing about guns at all or anything about legislation whatsoever. So if they really took it upon themselves, we try our best with like um, getting people to register to vote. But getting people to register to vote is good, but not if they don't understand who they're supposed to vote for. So I think education is definitely at the forefront of this. So I guess just, you know, since you, you know, we have a lot of listeners who haven't been in high school for a very long time and some who might have graduated not that long ago, but what do you want them to know right now as a student in high school who has to deal with these types of issues where you don't always know if you're going to come home from school? What do you want those listeners to know? I think, you know, just listening to students, getting the student's perspective on it, you know, listening to students who are sort of growing, who are part of this mass shooting generation, who have grown up with this for as long as we can remember, just listening and getting their perspective. And also, you know, I'm 15. I will not be able to vote in the next 2020 election, you know, 2022. However, I will definitely be voting in those midterms. But, you know, if you, you know, are able to, like, vote and because some of us like are we can't vote you know just vote for the students who do have to go through this regularly I mean just listen to us and please vote I mean I really can't stress it enough I would like to tell them that this is this is way past just who wants to own a gun and who doesn't it's more of a a life protecting this generation, your own generation, and the next generation from having to deal with this epidemic that's just taking lives, not just in schools, but also even for the people who have graduated, like, in your workplace, it could happen. I mean, it's really, this is really just a fight for life right now because that's what's happening is legislators are so focused on policy right now and so focused on what they see fit that they're forgetting about all the lives that have been lost in this. And at the end of the day, I just want to kind of throw this in quickly, but I think creating conversation is so important about it. You know, 
so many times people like, you know, me and Navian who advocate for gun safety, we always are fighting the label as, you know, always fighting the labels of anti-Second Amendment, you know, gun grabbers. Those are all things that we fight. But in reality, we are pro-Second Amendment, pro-gun ownership, but it's just be we have to be sensible about this and so we are all for sparking dialogue and for talking you know to all different people and we we love talking to both sides of the both sides of the aisle on this i mean this isn't red or blue this isn't democrat or republican this is life versus death so just have conversations you know talk with people because at the end of the day educating people on why gun safety is so important is, you know, that's ultimately what's going to get us to a better place as a country. And for those who are either students who want to, you know, get involved, or for those who might be politicians, state of state or federal um, politicians, how or even just parents with more questions, how can they get involved? Um, I would definitely say students demand action or any type of youth activism is fantastic for for sort of the younger generations. Um, so students demand, if you're a student in Frederick County, we are a countywide chapter. So any high school or college students, if you're in Frederick County, no matter where you go to school, you know, you are more than welcome to join us. Any student who is willing to help create change and end gun violence is more than welcome to come and work with us. We're, we're, all are welcome in our space. I'd say if you are... A mom, you know, who's concerned about gun violence, join Moms Demand Action. We do have a Frederick, we have a Frederick chapter for that, and they're amazing, and they've been so supportive to us. So Moms Demand Action is another great organization. I want to give them a little shout-out. And what did you say was the other one? And for, you know, um, politicians who can actually make Mm -hmm. votes and differences. Um, Politicians listen to students listen listen to us hear our stories i think that's the main thing and and you know support the gun sense legislation that's going through advocate for it on your own if you're not seeing it come through you know i think when politicians really listen to the voices of students and um actively proactively advocate for gun safety legislation that is what that's a gun sense candidate perfect navian laurel thank you very much for coming in and and sharing your stories with us thank you for having us thank you and for people who want to reach out and maybe get involved with students demand action in frederick their email is students demand action frederick at gmail.com all right and so now we're bringing in kate masters to talk to us a little bit about her 72 hours hi kate hey heather So uh, can you tell us a little bit about what we should expect this week? Yeah, I think so. I'll focus on two stories. And the first one is kind of a lighter, fun piece. Um, And this is just on a tour of um, Maryland horse farms that is actually going to feature um, a Frederick County farm called Summer Wind out in Union Bridge. And I wanted to cover this because um, we got wind of it and I am like a very closet horse girl. Um, So I definitely wanted to do this story. Uh, And I mean, it's about the tour, which features these Maryland breeders farms. Um, you know, which are declining in recent years. But I think the goal is to get people more involved in the horse industry and, and give them a better sense of what it is that these farms do. So I'll be covering that a little bit and giving you a preview of that in case you want to go. And I also learned some fun facts um, 
through the uh, Maryland Horse Breeders Association, including that Maryland is apparently the number one state in terms of the number of horses per square mile. And I asked them if they felt like second fiddle compared to Virginia, which I, the state where I grew up, which I know is very horse centric. And they said that Maryland was actually better than Virginia in terms of horses. So I guess you can put that in your state pride hat. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> um And I'm also pretty excited for my cover story next week. Um, This is a story that I've been fielding lots of questions on, um, and it is all about professional cuddling. Um, We were uh, approached by a cuddler who has an office in Germantown, um, but she has clients from all across the state, including um, a recent upsurge in clients from Frederick. So I was very interested in that um, and what professional cuddling actually was and so um, I talked to Jasmine Simon who is the practitioner's name and that story will feature all um, you know all this information about the industry and about her and about um, a practice that I think not a lot of people know about. So just for our listeners do you actually get cuddled yourself? I do get cuddled and I'll talk about that so if you want to learn more about it (laughs) check out 72. All right, perfect. Anything else we should know? Um, I think that's it for this week. Perfect. Well, as always, you can read 72 Hours in our Thursday edition. Um, It'll also be on our website. So thanks so much for coming in, Kate. Yeah, thanks, Heather. Frederick Uncut is produced by me, Heather Mangilio. And me, Wyatt Massey. And edited by Graham Cullen. See you next week. (laughs) 